Rogers almost going to fall for Martinez. Antonov trying to get there. Martinez finishes to give away the match. It's an absolute peach from the Paraguayan, Miguel Almiron. Atlanta United in just their second year of existence have won MLS Cup. Watch our final, Jay Sam Jones here with you, Joe Patrick from 9.9 The Game and other places is over there. Joe, why is it Atlanta United's fault specifically that a group of MLSD players went down to a one-off game and lost after the goalkeeper threw the ball or kicked the ball into another dude's <laughs> Oh my God. This story is insane. You know, one of our writers, Greg Outer, who, who who writes for us, does a lot of Lanny Night 2 stuff, youth stuff, brought this up after the game, after that U.S., after they failed qualification, saying that Greg, somebody's going to bring it up that it's Atlanta's fault. I'm and- so sorry because I... <laughs> Because I immediately went, great, literally no one's that stupid. <laughs> I was kind of with you, too. I was I was like, nah, that, that can't possibly happen. And then, of course, it's like, honestly, the, the most surprising thing was the source that it came from. Doug McIntyre, who's normally a really kind of just straight line, not, not, a, not an emotional kind of tweeter or reporter, uh, just went off. It, and to be fair, I, there there is a there is a hint of trolling in this. Like obviously he was like pull all three goalkeepers, but the sentiment seemed very real that he felt there should be some kind of retaliation. And, and, and at some point, Atlanta United was at fault for this instance, which like I'm not sure really how much Miles Robinson and George Bello stop what happened from happening. I think if you hop in the time machine to like Terminator this right, like you go back and kill the jason crease christ whatever <laughs> signing in the first place right you yeah, don't go sure. like take down atlanta united you go stop a whole bunch of other things right. that were the issue here for sure and um, there were some mischances in the game too you know like there's obviously there's yeah. lots of reasons and when you set an objective to make the olympics you have that objective like they weren't going to say when they didn't get miles robinson and george bellow in the squad it's not like they were like oh, okay well maybe maybe qualifying for the olympics is a bridge too far for us without these guys <laughs> you know right which I, I really don't want to get into it too much. I just yeah. wanted to start the show to, to make sure it was kind of hilarious. We're clear on what side we were on with this. <laughs> the, the rest of the stuff bores me to death, to be totally honest. Sure. Um, so totally we'll, get it. we'll move on to some stuff that's a little more interesting. First and foremost, thank you to Kurt Castle for the intro there. By thank the way, you, Kurt. going back a couple of minutes. Good work, Kurt. That's Only Sam famous. is allowed to say your name now on the podcast <laughs> after I totally butchered it the other day. That's Kurt Castle. His song is Chances. We appreciate him letting us use it for our intro. Moving on some housekeeping things, though, you guys can go check out some of the excellent stuff. We are excellent, in my opinion, excellent in most other people's opinions so far. We haven't had too many complaints. Uh, we're up near 100 patrons at this point already, which is just absurd. We appreciate you all going ahead and checking that out. Had a few more people come in this week because we had a very big interview up with the captain, Michael Parker. It's back for round two on that one. Go check that out. He had a lot of insights in that, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But Joe, yes. Well, I just want to say, you know, again, thank you to everybody who has signed up so far. It's just, I, I've talked about it before in this podcast, but I just can't say it enough, like how amazing the little community that it is is that's building. Um, and it's just great to see. We've got people already now talking about, you know, swapping tickets or putting tickets up for people who can't <laughs> go to games in there in our little group. Uh, so it's really cool. It, it, it's good to be a part of. And I would encourage anybody to anybody who wants to hear these interviews and just kind of be part of this to uh, to sign up. I think it would definitely be um, worth the, the little bit of money it is to kind of join this community where 
um, there's just a lot of love for Atlanta United and everything that's going on. It's great. It's cool to see that. It's cool to see people maybe being like, hey, do you guys go any tailgates? Maybe meet up with folks at that once we're able to do that a little bit more. And it, it's getting close. It's getting close, Joe Patrick. We're only we're only a week away. But keep an eye out for that. Uh, we have daily shows coming out as well that aren't quite daily, but are like semi-daily that'll have quotes from people in the organization. The latest is with Gabriel Heinze, his, and we'll talk about his presser in just a little bit. And one other thing, I haven't even talked to you about this, Sam, but I'm going to be talking to Josh Bagrianski after the game next week against Elohulunze, so we can do a little bit of tactics talk before we get into That will air sometime for patrons before uh, the regular season gets started. That'll just be a little freebie on top of other stuff we've got in the works, um, like you mentioned. And uh, I think we have maybe some, maybe some secret guests, hopefully, that will come on the show um Mm. but there will be lots of stuff to talk about here soon especially once these games get going yeah the interviews are going to keep coming and we're excited about the next few ones if 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 things break our way we always need some things to break our way but they almost exclusively have at this point so keep an eye out keep an eye out and you guys should keep an eye out too look out what's that oh god no it's business time it's business I took over today. That's not a little falsetto. Hot Joe Patrick. Other hot news, though. Atlanta United gets vaccinated. Isn't that a good transition? Atlanta United gets vaccinated (laughs) for the first time. That uh, news dropped yesterday. They were, uh, of course, uh, it looked like MBS. They were at MBS, right? They went Mm, to do that. Yeah, I was at the max vaccination site at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. You can get vaccinated, too. I don't know if you guys knew this yet. All adults over 16 eligible in Georgia now. I have my second dose scheduled to be at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It's kind of cool for me. The last place I went before the pandemic started that was like a thing was Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And now I'm getting the end of my pandemic at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Man, full circle. I like that a lot. I wish it didn't have to happen. (laughs) Seems like a dumb thing. I don't like this arc, but I'm in this arc. I'm going to appreciate it for what it is, I guess. Question. Yes. Question for you. Were you uh, emo- when you got your first vaccine dose? Were you like emotional at all? Or anything? I kind of was. I didn't think I would Absolutely. be because I yeah, wouldn't think yeah, I would yeah. be because I already I contracted COVID, so I had already kind of I've I've had the relief already of feeling like I'm pretty safe from just the immunity of having had it in December. But still, it was just like the kind of like a a timestamp of like a year on. You know, it was kind of uh, didn't mm. didn't expect that coming. It's something that that I won't forget, and I think the second one at Mercedes-Benz Stadium for the aforementioned reasons is going to be really one of those things where I will be emotional with it and everything like that. You can do it too. Yeah, go get signed up. Go get signed up, guys. If you need help getting signed up, we'll help you it's get free. signed up. It's not. Yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. yeah. We're almost there. We're almost there. Only a week away, Joe Patrick. Our our next game. We have a game to preview at some point in this conversation. Before oh, God, we do that, we God do, help us. God help us. <laughs> Tough draw. We do want to talk about the interview we had with Michael Parker. So obviously, you can listen to that if you're a patron, like we said. But if you haven't, we do want to kind of go into some of the stuff that he said. And Joe, there were a lot of really interesting things that stood out. Yeah. For you, what kind of stood out from our talk with the captain? Probably that his favorite item at Chili's is the fajitas. <laughs> to quote uh, Michael Parker's, do they have fajitas? Question mark? <laughs> of course they do. Yes, Of course Michael. they do. Yes. <laughs> Um, my biggest uh, takeaway, I think, and maybe yours too, which we'll get to a little bit, I guess, but um, the story about Tata writing on the TVs and whiteboards with a Sharpie, <laughs> stuff that will not come off. We asked him if this had ever happened once. He said no. It happened multiple times. Yeah. And on the road, too. That was fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, it was excellent. It was excellent. There's also a lot of interesting stuff I thought as well about some of the culture divide. That's what I thought was. That's what I thought. Some of the South American players, and of course Frank DeBoer comes in and changes everything. My thought with that is, you can have culture changes. You can get people to respond to that as long as you are a person who can manage people. Mm -hmm. And I clearly seemed like that was not the case with this group. And something interesting, Parky said was that they had by the end lost a love of coaching. It seemed like. Which mm-hmm. makes the Netherlands thing even more insane to me. Like, what, what was that job interview like? Ah, I'm just not feeling this. I'm kind of bad at it. Do you want the job? Weird, weird connections there for, yeah. for the Netherlands. But Well, um, I yeah. mean, I, I didn't want to say this during the interview because I didn't want to try to like put words in his mouth as to what was going on or anything. But, you know, obviously we kind of know the storyline. And, and he did hint at this around that Houston game where Houston had the early red card and they went three five. They were going three five two in that game because they had a rash of injuries. Um, and uh, of course the three, five, two by the formation is less important as opposed to just like the general mentality of the team. And, and they really, that was kind of the inflection point where they started going back and kind of playing in that old style that they did under Tata. And I do wonder if because of that, like when, when Parkhurst talks about kind of losing the love for coaching or whatever, if it's like, you know, just being disappointed that the team is now kind of. Um, coaching themselves and doing mm-hmm. better and there's not really anything that you can do to kind of you know put your stamp on it so much so um, yeah I mean we've heard many reports and stories about you know Joseph Martinez kind of being the coach about <laughs> LGP kind of being the coach and and well, taking PT the reins not wanting to be there at all yeah yeah so um walking yeah, off the field at times I, th- I think that a lot of what parker said in that interview kind of does back up and just gives us a little bit more color a little bit more context to what we kind of understood what was happening during that season go check I, that out I, I also thought it was interesting the way he talked about just adapting to tata also i thought his insights into mm-hmm. tata uh was good too and again it's it's kind of things we've heard but it's always good to hear them from directly from the players talking about how um, a lot of the domestic guys, a lot of the American-based guys had to adjust to essentially like a Spanish-language club, essentially, as far as a play, as from a player standpoint, when you're on the field and in the in the locker room. I almost call it a clubhouse baseball season. Um, just ad- adapting to that. And, I, you know, it, it, I think when you're talking about uh, an MLS, uh, team in MLS, you think that it's the other way, that players, foreign players coming into the league have to adapt to the American way uh, that things are but really it was the 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 latin culture was so dominant inside this club and i think that was partially led by tata and partially by this collection of players that were so important to the team uh just interesting to hear the standpoint of michael parker as a guy who's been around the league having to kind of adjust to that situation those guys did adjust though and then, mm-hmm. i think a large part has to do with that because tata was someone who could bring that out of you right mm-hmm. yeah you know and i think we've maybe touched on that enough at this point but but you get the point go check that out it's a good uh, about 30 minute interview with parky we enjoy having him coming on he seems to not hate it entirely which is great um he keeps coming back so seems good to us seems good to us um someone we haven't gotten this someone we've seen literally as much as we've seen parky is gabriel einze uh, we've had two press conferences now with, with einze and the second one came just a little bit ago i believe it was on saturday um, right before they went to Birmingham for a scrimmage. We didn't really talk about that. But we did get to talk to him. Um, he had his translator with him, uh, his assistant coach. Uh, Pedro Matia Yevis, I believe is his name, uh, did a really good job kind of translating for him. And, and Justin Veldice was there as well to help out with that. But, but Joe, largely close to the vest, I think. I think he was very direct on a lot of things. Not blunt, not like transgressive about anything, not angry, just 
direct, right? Very, very short to the point, except, except for when he gets to talk about his overall philosophy and general feelings on coaching and managing people. That's when he seems to be at his most Ted Lasso-iest, mm. I think is how I would put it. Mm-hmm. And also maybe most his most Bielsa-iest. Yeah. You know, when yeah. he talks about preparation, everything like that, he has a little bit of that. And then he has, he moves into this like, I want them to become leaders off the field. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. Grows people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, yeah. He's definitely not as interested in answering a question about like, what is George Bellows ceiling? You know, like those kinds right. of questions that are very media ish and we all want to hear about. Um, he, it's, he, overall, he struck me as just very uncomfortable <laughs> in that setting. <laughs> um, you know, I think part of it is doing it on Zoom, doing it through foreign languages. It, it yeah. is uncomfortable. Like it, mm-hmm. it is uncomfortable for everybody involved doing these things. So definitely appreciate him uh even just yeah putting you know doing doing that for us uh the day before that game um definitely looked like he was jonesing for a cigarette by the end there <laughs> i think that i think that he was lighting one up uh, shortly after i don't i don't know he, he does have a raspy voice i assume he's a european uh you know what are they, like a, a dainty uh Where are we you know, going? cigarette smoker i don't know I, i'm just giving my impressions <laughs> of the of the interview i thought it was uh I don't know. It's not, it wasn't super insightful apart from the the things that you mentioned. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah, we got a daily up on the Patreon about that. Oh, but and we got uh, some. We did get some news out of him about Alan Franco, who I think we we're got a couple talk about of here. different news little items here. <laughs> but obviously, the big one being Alan Franco. He just kind of casually dropped in the middle of. I, I can't even remember what the question was exactly. But yeah, he was not like, asked We've about been him. going after a center back. It's Alan Franco. He got signed last week. It was just said like that. I was like, oh, okay. Um, yeah. Some later reporting from Felipe Cardenas indicates that maybe perhaps he spoke out of turn, which like, I mean, he did anyway. That announcement had not been made at any point yet. So he was maybe jumping the gun a little bit and maybe jumping the gun still on some final details, most importantly, that still need to be sorted out. Yeah. And Darren Eels also said this. Darren Eels spoke in a kind of behind closed doors, though virtual uh, season ticket holder town hall last night. And he also was uh, specified that the deal is not done until you see <laughs> the cryptic tweet, I think was his words. Mm-hmm. Um, so just just FYI. But I think it's just done. imagine Darren just not being upset that he like mentioned it, just being upset that like he didn't get to do the cryptic tweet potentially. <laughs> yeah. Right. Darren, you, you got this. Man. You got this. And we, we eagerly, we eagerly await it. Some other news kind of dropped in that Mateus Osatu did pick up a knock in training a couple weeks ago, but that is not the reason he's been missing. Apparently he has traveled down to Brazil for personal reasons. We wish Matias the best with regards to that. Any other thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it will be interesting to see what happens with Rosetto. I hope that, you know, the personal reasons are nothing that's super, like, serious or tragic or anything that's happening with his family because mm-hmm. the, the, the COVID situation down there in Brazil is pretty bad by all accounts. And, you know, speaking of that, I think it will make it even that much harder, that much longer for whenever he is or would possibly be ready to come back to the team uh, for him to you know get all of that arranged coming back from a place where COVID uh, has been so bad. I don't know if it's tougher for people to come back from countries like that, um, just in terms of getting across the border and reentering the United States. Um, I don't know if they have to, you know, wait a certain amount of time or anything like that, but hopefully everything's okay. Um, but maybe, you know, there is also, I, I hate to kind of, 
pivot straight to the implications on the field or on the roster for Atlanta United. But, um, you know, there is an international slot situation where the team does still appear to be over the international slot limit by by one. And this uh, this deadline for that would be coming, you know, before the MLS season starts. Was it April 16th or 15th? 13th something like that middle of april 16. so not not i knew it was one of those i got i got one one of them right uh yeah so um not that much time left to sort that out and you wonder he is an international player you wonder if that may be a factor here and other news the schedule released did we talk about that the, we were talking about perhaps maybe the schedule being released the last time we did a full show yeah we were yes. thinking that it may be released while we were on the air but i think it came it on i not. think it i think it was released just afterward yeah just so. after that so the schedule is out officially you can go check that out and of course pretty much anywhere you can just even just google Atlanta united the full schedule will pop up some interesting kind of tweaks that mls has done this year most notably i think is only two western conference teams those games will come against seattle and lafc which if you're going to draw two western conference teams i mean those are probably the two you'd want to see just for notoriety purposes maybe not for standings purposes especially lafc seattle is probably gonna take a step back this year but you know who knows by the summer they may have all their guys in again that's typical seattle <laughs> things we'll see yeah. we'll see um some other things to kind of note with that they're basically in a region with several other teams these teams will play atlanta united three times those teams off the top of my head nashville toronto montreal orlando cincinnati uh yeah sounds good to me one of those <laughs> miami know. miami, I, I miami excuse me miami, miami. oh that's right miami yeah, yeah, and yeah. cincinnati yep. yep there we go um of course toronto and montreal you're like why are they in our region well they're starting out in florida uh due to pandemic related things so that explains that and yeah that that's kind of how it all shakes out for atlanta united there are a couple interesting things there i think getting orlando three times is interesting getting toronto especially three times is interesting we've really not seen a ton of them it always seems to come at crucial moments though mm -hmm. for atlanta united and it seems to be that same way this year we faced toronto late in the year could be a really interesting one could see chris armis blow it toronto is fascinating to me <laughs> toronto is just fascinating to me I think overall, just looking broadly at this schedule, I think it's, it'll be a good kind of uh, mix between what a normal schedule would be and what we saw last year, where last year it was kind of, well, last year just sucked overall <laughs> from, from LA and I's perspective. But I can imagine it would have been cool if your team was like in contention for the playoffs and you're playing lots of big games against teams. And you're kind of developing that rivalry in the season. I feel like it's kind of it's kind of going to be like that this year where you do see, you know, teams like Toronto and, 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 and Orlando more often than you might otherwise. So you can develop some of those rivalries, especially if it's two teams that are really fighting for spots in the playoffs. Um, but it will be disappointing not to just see the you know them play some of these teams in the west coast they don't play as often but you know what can you do Not i have some thoughts about this there's a question about it later though and we'll okay. touch on it then i have some thoughts i have some thoughts you know okay. if you already read the newsletter the daily kickoff for mlssoccer.com um those three first three games have suddenly become very very important <laughs> yeah. and that schedule wow. out of nowhere um i described it today as like when you're playing a game in the yard with your friends and you've just made up the game right and you're inventing rules on the fly for this game as like a kid that is kind of what happened here yes with the open you're, cup you're, you're drawing brackets with like pine bark on the concrete <laughs> exactly exactly so so what has happened with the open cup is they are only going to take eight teams from the first division right that is mls only going to take those eight teams and they're going to base it 
on the standings after the first three weeks of the season. That's not the first three games for every team. That's the first three weeks. So you have a couple of teams like Columbus, for one, who are only playing two games. Toronto is another one of those teams only playing two games. The rest of the teams are playing three games. They'll take a points per game basis at that point and decide the top eight teams, which then goes in to this hilarious list of like it is a tome of tiebreakers <laughs> I, I, they might get to f on it you know <laughs> a through all the way to like g on this right. thing it, it's pretty wild so keep an eye out for that um we have, again we have some more questions about that later we'll get into more about what that means for Atlanta United but it certainly means a lot of interesting things for MLS yeah I've got nothing else to add I just generally prefer them just picking Atlanta United to just make uh, <laughs> you know CONCACAF Champions <laughs> League that's much easier but <laughs> my conspiracy adult brain tells me that they got so much flack for just doing that for Champions League they didn't want to just do it again <laughs> yeah. and they didn't want to get roasted for like any decisions they made on who gets in so they just said first three weeks of the season cool I love it. I think it's going to be super entertaining to have those first three games matter to some extent, right? Yeah, so. for, I mean, it, it does make those games more interesting. You know, they talk about early in season, it seems like teams can sleepwalk through in various leagues, not just in soccer, but in various mm. leagues. It feels like those early games in the season aren't as, aren't as important. But yeah, it certainly does put more on in these. It, it's a one-time deal, of course. Obviously, the Open Cup is about bringing all 120-something teams on the, the U.S. soccer ladder into the competition. But kind of lame i don't know i kind of wish it was just kind of a normal thing and maybe even extended like the first like 10 games or something like that just to just to make those a little more important in the future it won't stick but enjoy it enjoy it while you can for this um enjoy the next few days i guess if you can without atlanta united playing actual meaningful soccer joe patrick we are again a week away from a tough draw hello Wilenze. i'm Very getting nice. better at it i'm getting better at it I don't know if you noticed this in the in the, our show sheet the other day. I actually had to spell it out fon- <laughs> phonetically, phonetically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that I could say it properly. But I'm getting better. Um, I did notice. So mm-hmm. we kind of, you know, as far as previewing this game, I think the, are we going to talk about the who who might play later in the? Yes. We have questions about that. Okay, so we'll talk we about do. that later. But I think just generally speaking, I'm more anticipating something along the lines of the Concacaf Champions League tie that was played in Frank de Boer's first season when the team I can't remember the name of the team I don't think it was Matagua I think that was the second year but it was the first year they went down there and got stomped stomped. yeah Yeah. like three nothing and Mm -hmm. they looked terrible I'm kind of expecting more of that kind of situation where they could go down there look bad I don't know if they're gonna lose three nothing but I, I could totally see them going down there and it looking rough uh but then coming back and and having a clear advantage uh, in the second leg, which I think is just a huge advantage uh, in these ties, having the second leg at home, just in terms of having that comfortability and knowing what the score line is at when you go into that second game uh, in your own territory. So um, that's kind of what I'm expecting. As far as that home game goes, we do want to tell you all that there is a plan for limited capacity for that, for fans. We just got our media credential application going as well. We'll be like off intense somewhere and not even allowed to speak to the players in the locker room after the game. I'm still going to go. I miss soccer. Um, but it, what we can really tell you about this is that Alahuense has not lost since November, since November, right? Oh, is that real? I thought that's I thought. real. That is not, that was not a bit. <laughs> they have not lost since November. Shit. And since like October, they've maybe lost one time, right? So this is a team that at the very least knows how to win. 
This is a team that's obviously good. That's obviously talented enough to get into the Champions League. And they're going to have uh, that kind of mentality coming into this. They're going to have a us-against-the-world kind of giant-killing mentality with this. But looking up and down the roster at the same time, this is something. The, this is an obstacle Atlanta United should get past based on talent. There are a lot of difficulties here. Obviously, there are a lot of roadblocks to doing that. It, don't be surprised if they lose. Just know that they should win. If if Alahuelense had a player <laughs> had a player like Lissandro Lopez on their team, the talking point going into this game would be you got to watch out for Alahuelense. They've got Lissandro Lopez. You know he's a he's a former European Golden Boy, um, and Atlanta United has that guy. So you're right. Like when you look at the rosters, I mean, we talk about oh yeah, Alahuelense has uh, is it Brian Brian Ruiz? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Atlanta United has those kinds of players too. Those, those kinds of players who have had a ton of success in Europe, uh, who have had success obviously here on the continent. So when you look at the roster, it's not really, a, honestly, it's not close, but there's the form and all that stuff. Just the general, the, the fact that Atlanta United hasn't, hasn't played games yet under this mm-hmm. new manager in a new style. So that's really, I think, what this is going to come down to. Exactly. It's the form. It's the cohesiveness. Up and down the lineup, though, it's um, a bunch of domestic guys for this Costa Rican team uh, just that the talent level isn't quite the same as Atlanta's international pool of players again don't be surprised I lose but know that they probably should be able to advance I think I think like Joe said I think you do kind of want to keep an eye out for form I don't think they're going to go down and look necessarily scared or anything that that Frank team that first game looked so tepid and just completely discombobulated was that their first that was their was that their first ever CONCACAF Champions League game I don't because I don't think they played in CONCACAF Champions League under Tata because they qualified by winning MLS Cup that's right yeah so they hadn't really experienced that before exactly exactly but but I expect a little more cohesion from this team that that's just my feelings just based on what we know about what's been drilled into them in the preseason how the process has worked they should at least look a little that's more fair. confident. Again, I guess I don't think yeah. they're going to win, but yeah, that's where I'm at. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm just expecting so expecting not a great result there, but I think I think Atlanta United still makes uh, wins this tie overall. That game is on Tuesday. It's on April 6th. I believe the start time kickoff there is set for around 8 p.m. Eastern. Keep an eye out for it. Keep an eye out for it, and keep an eye out for this quick break. And before we get back into the show, did just want to shout out once again our partners at Lucid FC for bringing you this episode of Five Stripe Final. They've got a new shop out um, in Buckhead. It's right behind the Whole Foods there. Uh, the address is 3209 Paces Ferry Place Northwest if you want to write that down or Google it or whatever. But I cannot wait to see what they get done there because I think that that shop is going to be um, experiential to say the least. These guys are really creative and uh, I think that it will be more than just a a place to sell clothes. So that would be really cool. But you can obviously also order from them online at lucidfc.us. They've got their new spring summer 2021 collection out now, uh, which you can buy right now online called This is a Modern World. It's really cool stuff. The collection brings nostalgic, psychedelic party nights of the past to the new modern lifestyle. Uh, I've checked it out on, on their shop. It looks really cool. The products on this line will be sold exclusively to directly to you on the Lucid FC website. That's where you get it. Uh, they've got unisex sizes from extra small to extra extra large, and uh, price points from eight dollars to three hundred and eighty dollars. So there's something in there for everybody, uh, and it has just launched, and it's really cool. Definitely would recommend everybody go check out uh, LucidFC.us and maybe pick up yourself some uh, some Modern World clothes. Wow, what a break! What a what a momentous 
mm. moment and break history. Maybe the greatest break. Maybe the only break that, that we've ever really needed in our lives. But another good one, Joe Patrick. Another good one. Another good one. You guys had questions. We have vague words resembling answers probably <laughs> but we did have a lot of questions today and they were mostly pretty good we'll get to pretty much all of them i think today a uh, long episode i think as we kind of move through these but first one we'll start with john who asked how hard is it really to ensure we play everyone at least once each season plenty of options out there my favorite east west two divisions each home away in division I'll give MLS a pass this season, maybe, but moving forward, would you agree it's better to hashtag play everyone? And this is that question about the schedule I was talking about where people were kind of like, oh, I hate that we don't play these Western Conference teams. And I I get it to an extent, but also I kind of, I really do like the exclusivity of what is happening here. I like the idea that these two Western Conference games from this year are very, very big, important games. And I compared it to an out-of-conference game in football that's really, really big. Like, you know, Notre Dame coming down Georgia or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. It seems mm-hmm. to have that kind of level I like that. of yeah. hype kind of attached to it just because it is this exclusive thing. Now, do I think it's it's not going to be a regular occurrence? It's not going to be that. But for the moment, I think you can kind of sit back and be like, wow, we have these two really big events coming our way everyone should be back in the stadium by that point i think by the time these games go down we're gonna have these two big events happening and that's really cool to me yeah i like that i am kind of on your side as well and i think there's just kind of two kinds of people when it comes to scheduling there's people who want it to be as fair and equal across the board as possible which i totally understand uh you know wanting feeling that way about it but i'm kind of like you i'm more of like more looking at the entertainment angle and the kind of uh yeah i think that it's kind of fun to have only a couple games the reason why those games feel so big is because you only have a two or three opportunities to really kind of prove your medal against the the, against the other you know side that you don't play as often so Mm -hmm. um i'm fine with it that way as well i'm not really like i don't have strong opinions about the schedule i just think that it will will be very hard to try to make it perfectly perfectly balanced as the league continues to grow and you get so many teams in it just makes it hard to you know, you're never going to have a kind of schedule like the Premier League or something, a, t- a league that only has 20 teams where you can very, you know, pretty easily play every team home and away and something like that. I know that's not what is necessarily being called for here, but I just think as the league continues to expand, I think you're going to have to try to, if you want to make it more even, you're going to need to use divisions and things like that. And I do think that that would be wise for MLS to go to a division style uh, table. Mm-hmm. Eventually, just just because of travel reasons, just because yeah. of the size of the league as it continues to grow. They say they're stopping at 30 teams. I don't think they're going to stop at 30 teams as long as the money and the fan support is there. So we'll see on that. Overall, though, like I think that in addition to the one side of the coin, which is the exclusivity, you have the other side of the coin where you get to breed familiarity with teams like Orlando and Toronto. And I think that will be a lot of fun. I yeah. think that'll be a lot of fun. Um, so I, I think both sides of the coin are pretty well represented there and should make for a really enjoyable product. So there you go, John. There you go, John. And the, the, the big difference is that the league champion in MLS is, is uh, you know done by a playoff instead of a top of the standings table like you would get in Premier League. So you, so it's not as necessary to have everything perfectly balanced. Uh, but of course, that's going to make supporter shield controversies. Well, the other question about the schedule, of course, we talked about a second ago, had to do with the Open Cup and those first three games. At least a team is question to ask, are Atlanta's first three games easy enough that we should qualify for the U.S. Open Cup? 
Also, do we even want to qualify for the U.S. Open Cup? And I'll go ahead and say that your answer to that second question doesn't matter because Atlanta is absolutely not making the U.S. Open Cup. The C-year starts with, of course, Orlando. Then you face a good, bad, bad, good Chicago team that should be pretty much improved this year to some extent anyway Mm -hmm. they were pretty they were like xg heroes last year that didn't have the same results in the standings and then you go to a very good new england team so that's two of the top three teams in the east plus a potential playoff team to start the year it's very very unlikely atlanta is going to make the u.s open cup yeah especially when when you consider these games we've already talked about these ccl Mm -hmm. games that are just going to add more fixture congestion to a team that doesn't have the kind of rhythm and chemistry that they'll have going into the season so i agree with you that it's going to be very difficult for them to qualify for this uh but i think they should you know like i always want atlanta united to win and to qualify for things and do all that stuff i'm i'm definitely not in the camp of like oh this is not an important competition or trophy or whatever i'm always just i'm never not rooting for this team to to win i'm I know that that's kind of controversial to say, especially in some journalism circles or whatever, but I always just want to see good soccer and I want to see, the, you know, a good product. Objectivity is a lie, just so you know. It is. It just totally so is. Know. I have a master's degree that proves it. I mean, so, yeah. The- Doug McIntyre, not, <laughs> not, not an objective journalist, clearly, uh, clearly USA homer. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, no, I keep your expectations low for that. You would always want to see Elaine United win a trophy. It's a good question, though. It's a good question. We had another schedule question as well, though, Shane. Ask that now that the schedule's out, what is the toughest stretch in this Atlanta United schedule? I look through, I pick this little five, six game stretch out. It starts on July 24th, ends on August 19th. You go Columbus, Orlando, Montreal, Columbus, LAFC, Toronto. That is a bear. That's pretty even difficult. With, even with the Montreal break in the middle, Montreal, man, they might finish last in the East, to be totally honest. Columbus, one or two on the MLS power rankings, easy. Orlando, a top five team in the league. Columbus again, LAFC one or two on the power rankings, and then whatever Toronto looks like. I still don't quite know what Toronto's going to look like. No one knows what Toronto's going to look like. <laughs> yeah. I saw where Chris Arm is today. It was like, man, we should really get Michael Bradley and attack more. And I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be fun. <laughs> um, so I'm taking a play- page out of Klinsman's book right there. Exactly, exactly. But the talent's going to be there for yeah, Toronto no definitely. matter what. So that's that's going to be difficult. That is a tough, tough six-game stretch. So if they're doing pretty well by then, if they're firing all cylinders, that'll be the big barometer of kind of what this team can maybe do in a playoff scenario, I think. Yeah? Sounds good to me. I, I haven't really examined the schedule that far. So I'm, But that 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 you pulled out, that stretch, is uh, I can't imagine a much more <laughs> difficult stretch that a team would have. So, yeah. To add to that, the game before Columbus is, I believe it's like Cincinnati, but then before that is New England. So you throw that in there, New England, a top three team in the East pretty easily at this point, um, all things considered. And then again, a lot of stuff's going to change, but that that's a tough run. That's I feel like tough, it's just generally going to be a very competitive landscape in the Eastern Conference here. A lot of good the teams. East is, is deep in a lot of weird ways, but at the yeah. same time, it feels structured. Like if you were to break yes. the East into tiers, you would be able to kind of pick those out somewhat easily. But at the same time, there's a ton of movement potentially mm-hmm. in the Eastern conference. We'll, we'll talk about that more potentially with our next interview guest on the Patreon as we kind of work through that. That's the future though. Let, let's, let's keep an eye on the somewhat near present. Joel ask if you guys are picking a starting 11 for the CCL opener, who would you pick? Great question. Um, how do you want to take this? You, uh, let, let's do, let's just start from the back, I guess, and go and go to the front. Yeah, totally. Um, so George Bell, I think we can agree on George Bellow left back. Ronald Hernandez, right back. That's who I would pick. 
Maybe maybe you want to go Brooks London for some continuity, but I mean, are we doing who we would start and not who we think is going to start? Let's mm. do both. Okay, let's, let's do, do both. both. I would start Hernandez. I think Lennon's going to start. Interesting. I would agree, actually agree with both of those. Now that you okay. say that, mm-hmm. I, I do. I would want uh, Hernandez to start. I think the the center back situation is really interesting because there's really only one like locked on starter, which is obviously Miles Robinson. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, who starts next to him? Oh, and obviously Bragazan's going to be in goalie. Um, so who who's next to Miles Robinson? I think it's Campbell. I think you think it's Campbell? I think the indications from the scrimmages and everything like that, I mean, they do have some kind of experience together in the system at this point, and that will probably win out over whatever ball-playing ability Anton Walks may have that's, that's better than what George Campbell is bringing. It's a tough one, though. They could come out with it's either. T- it's like, really okay. tough. Yeah. The only thing that's going to shock me is if like it's like Alex to John is by himself, <laughs> actually. It's a back three. Surprise. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I don't really have a preference of who it would be, to be perfectly honest. I'm just more intrigued to see who it will be. And I guess I would say George Campbell, just because that's the player that we've seen play next to Miles Robinson so far this preseason. Um, I'm not so much a, a person who takes that much into account of like who's in these starting lineups, who's playing with like the first group and the second group. But I do think when you're looking at partnerships, like it is important to recognize who's playing next to the starter mm-hmm. at center back. And George Campbell's obviously been that guy. So I'm down with George Campbell. All right. So midfield, a three man midfield. We'll just three, mm-hmm. three man midfield. Uh, Santiago Sosa clearly going to be the number five or the d- defensive midfielder. Mm-hmm. Um, I would think that Emerson Hyman is going to start. And then and Ezekiel Barco as well. We agree. Um, and then so the only the only kind of con- conversation there or debate would be whether it's going to be Hyman or uh, Franco Ibarra. And then the front three, I am going to go with. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to go with Marcelino Moreno on the left. Yes. On the right, I think it will be Jurgen Dam, but oh, I want it to be Eric Lopez. I think it's going to be Lopez. Oh, you think it's going to be Lopez? I think it's going to be Lopez. Oh, you've brainwashed me. What is this? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm so shocked that you would say that. Yeah. <laughs> Um and then striker. So this I, is the this is the biggest question I think. I yeah. think yeah, I yeah, think it's going to be Lysandro Lopez. That's kind of that's 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 where that's how it feels to me. Which like if you have Joseph Martinez of all people coming on for for twenty minutes at the end of the game, there are worse things, right? For but sure. I think I think asking him to go even even sixty or seventy right now probably won't happen mm-hmm. all considered mm-hmm. yeah and, and, and Sandro is the best option otherwise you never want to start a player who you know you're going to have to sub off at a certain point that's always a risk and so Joseph Martinez clearly seems like that kind of player right now so I think it's best to bring him on as a sub on top of that you think about maybe potentially the CONCACAF nature of the field they could be playing on uh, this is the biggest club in, in Costa Rica so it may be pristine but every now and then you get a CONCACAF field that is a little bumpy. Yeah. A little bumpy, you know? So we'll he'd be see. locked on I, to play in the game. I just don't think he'll start. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be tough. Tough on the knees for sure. For sure. So there we go. There we go. There's our, there's our starting 11 predicted. Anyway, keep an eye, of course, on the striker. Keep an eye on fullback, center back. Lots of, lots of interesting questions fun. going forward. Yeah. No, it's, it's exciting to even think about I'm, a starting 11 for a game like that. And of course, that starting 11 leads us to a couple of questions about who is going to be left over from last year who's going to be one of those players who was on that team that shall not be named essentially is what 2020 is turning into um this leads to our question from blue who has taken out new guys who which of the french starter holdovers that's Heinemann, damn Lennon, etc is going to be most integral to heinze's system working and why is the answer definitely Heinemann? the answer is definitely Heinemann because he might be the best ball playing 
midfielder we kind of have, which isn't yeah. exciting. That's not an exciting statement that I just <laughs> said, but I think it's kind of the way it is right now, especially with Ibarra still growing and learning as a 19-year-old. Yeah, I mean, I would also say it's Hyman, mainly just based on the position. Like, as a central yeah. midfielder, you're just playing a very crucial role in the team. You're in the middle of the field. You're going to be around the ball more and the decisions and actions that that person or that position takes are just going to be very crucial in general, as opposed to some other positions like playing on the wing and things like that. So I would say Hyman, though, I also think that uh, Brooks Lennon, he's kind of one of my, I wouldn't say, I don't know if sleeper is the right word, but I think that um, he will show a lot more this year. Uh, I think that this system will really suit him a lot as it does George Bellow. I think he'll have a lot more opportunities to to put in service because last year, Brooks Lennon didn't really, there was nobody to play the ball to. There was nobody, you know, there was just not a lot going on in the attack for him to really kind of make his mark. So I'm expecting a big season out of Brooks Lennon. Yeah, something that's worrying me right now as I'm kind of looking at the depth chart, uh, Mo Adams out with a sports hernia for the next couple weeks at least probably be back later in April, I think is right. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, with Hosetsu back in Brazil, the, the depth is very... Central midfield is thin. thin. You have Heinemann, you have Sosa, Abara, and Mar- some combination of Moreno and Barco. And yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's the whole thing. So there, there's not a whole lot of options there, which could get, could get real, real interesting as we move throughout the year. You know, I, I would just add one more thing. One... Uh, I don't know if it's just the way he phrased this or what, but Heinze, when he was talking about Barco in his presser on Saturday, said that he was like, I think we found a position for him. He was like, he said something like that. It was like, we've, I think we've found a position for him to be effective or something like that. And, and, you know, and he did, he did surprise in that one friendly that they broadcast against the battery with, with Barco playing centrally. So um, I am kind of curious to kind of see if he's able to to have a big year this year. And he looks really fit, by the way. Ezekiel Barco does probably as, as like lean as I've ever seen him. I want to see how all of it works. I, I still don't know about Marcelino playing on the wing and everything like that. I kind of want to see how it all connects. And I'm still somewhat very concerned about the, the ball winning capabilities of a midfield that includes Ezekiel Barco and Emerson Heinemann. And it seems, seems a little risky. And I, I wonder if they might skew more defensively in this first leg, but my brain is in my heart is telling me that, that Heinze will say, nah, Go get him and try to, you know, play as attacking as possible. We'll see. Yeah. Next question comes from Soccer Star, and it's one of the French guys we didn't really mention in this question. He asks, will Jake Moraney challenge Dan for the right wing position long term? It seems Heinze really likes him out there. I haven't gotten necessarily that indication. And I think Jake plays largely on the the left, too. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, he played mainly on the left last year, and I'm not even sure what his dominant foot is, left or right. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but to, to answer the question, it's Eric Lopez, I think, actually. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Of course. Uh, yeah, I'm not as high on Jake Mulraney. I know he's had a good preseason in terms of I think he's scored a couple goals in some of these scrimmages and contributed to some assists. He's certainly featured pretty heavily in the highlight packages that the team has put together. Um, but I tend to think that these things are a little bit of mirages. Um, I don't expect him to play a big role in this team this year. He is a guy who's good going one-on-one. You know, he's quick, but it's the decision-making. It's kind of the the quick fluency of thought and the ability to play in those combinations. I think Gabriel Hines is really going to be looking for, and I just don't think that that suits Jake Mulraney's strength. He's much more of a one-on-one kind of go at the fullback type of player. We agree. We agree. The next question is about another fringe guy. Rick asks, will Hosetsu ever be a factor for the team? 
I want to say yes, just looking at that midfield depth because it is so thin. He will almost have to be at some point, right? Whether that's a good or bad factor, I'm not necessarily sure, but he will have to be some kind of factor if he is indeed still necessarily like going to be on the team. Yeah, you know, I'm not I'm not very sold on the talent um that is Mateus Rosetto, but I do think yeah, if you're you're right that if he is on this team, which I do th- think is an if right now and by the way this is as it relates to the last question I think that this international slot I think either Jake Mulraney or Mateus Rosetto is not going to be registered with the first team coming into the season if you just look at the international slots unless there's a green card coming down that would be the only thing that saves either one of those guys uh, otherwise I don't see how it happens and keep in mind those are hard to get right now Very yeah hard. yeah they are so um anyway that out of the way uh will he ever be a factor for the team i don't I, I don't think so just because i don't think the talent's there but if he is on the team then he will have that opportunity at least which is more than you can say for some people but um yeah i just he hasn't proven it to me yet i haven't seen it so i can't say that he would be well, we know the next answer to the question will not include Mateo Sosetsu based on what we just said. But John does ask, who is going to be the most improved returning player? Now, keep in mind, improved is, is doing a lot of work there. Because, like, if you say someone like Bello, right? Like, Bello's already pretty good. Yep. He might be improved a little bit, but I don't know. I, I want the full, who's getting the most separation from the 2020 selves to their 2021 selves is the question so my answer would be miles robinson and i know that he made mls best 11 in frank DeBoer's first year but he was not good last year yeah, and i think struggling. that a, i think that a big part of that was one injuries he was not healthy pretty much all year i think like every week uh stephen glass was talking about bits and pieces with uh <laughs> with miles robinson and i just don't think generally the way that the team set up with them playing a very deep block i don't think that gets the best out of miles robinson at all i think that with this team playing high up the field pressing high i think that gets the very best out of miles robinson i think he's going to be like noticeably amazing this year and it could be good enough to like potentially get him a big move into europe every single time we talk to a player who has played with miles the first thing they say is he is one of if not the best one-on-one defenders i've ever seen right Mm -hmm. ever which is like crazy considering that we're talking to like people like parkhurst and bobby boswell and stuff like that so to have that in mind and keeping in mind with what parky was talking about how in tata system there were so many one-on-ones and thinking about the similarities with this system to that it sets him up in a really really big way and I i think you're right to take that jump from last year to this year it could be really really special and Hopefully he's he's staying through the summer. If that jump does happen, I would love to see a Philadelphia kind of thing where they held on to Mark McKenzie before moving him on to Gink. But they got that deal done before yeah. the end of the year. So there was kind yeah. of this idea of like, okay, this is it. Give it your all, and then we'll ship you off for hopefully maybe greener pastures in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, Miles, if he does come good, I think he has a better skill set. I think he's more physical than McKenzie. He may command even more money and, and a better team, honestly, if he does make that jump this year that is kind of an if but i think joe i think you're right i think that could be easily the most improved guy from 2020 to 2021 do you have one greg and yeah i'm I'm stealing yours okay okay yeah yeah. uh greg and heathwood kind of asked the same kind of question it's about a guy we haven't really talked a whole lot about in a position we haven't really talked a whole lot about 
Um, Greg says, meant to ask this the other week, but approximately how many opponent players does it take to dispossess Rocco? And Heath would ask, building on this, what's the deal with Rocco? Have we seen Khan or Lungard had all this preseason-wise Rocco getting all the reps alongside Gazan? And I want to answer that last one first, and I think it's because this guy's kind of kind of a big deal, a little bit anyway. It, it seems pretty clearly like they're kind of setting him up to be the guy after Gazan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. And 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 Alec Can is a guy who's been around the league for a while, but I don't think he's like the guy you would look to to be the long term goalkeeper that follows Brad Guzan. Um as unfortunate as that may be for for can uh and lungard i actually like as well but he's he's older i want to say he's in his mid-20s already even though he's kind of still feels young in his career and that is still pretty young for a goalkeeper um i like lungard a lot but it does seem like this uh, rocco rios novos is going to be a guy who um it has the skill set that could be like a game changer at goalkeeper, especially with the way the modern game is going in terms of this distribution. It was hilarious, you know, some uh, when Greg asked about how how many players it take to dispossess him. The when during that Charleston battery game, I was looking away at something. I was like looking at my phone or something, and then I turned my my eyes back to the computer screen to watch the game and it was just the goalkeeper on the ball with like three guys right around <laughs> him in an immediate vicinity <laughs> and, but he got rid of it but um yeah that's the kind of skill set he possesses and uh, it's very important it's a really clever investment i think from the front office uh, a position that can cost money to, to get a high level kind of guy in if you wait but, too long and yeah. right but doesn't have that much effect and MLS overall, right? So if you can get a guy in early on the cheap who's probably going to be like ceiling, like floor, I mean, average, that's a steal in MLS, mm-hmm. right? Um, so even if he is just kind of an average keeper going forward, getting him in early like that, getting him in for relatively cheap and setting him up for the future and having a plan, I think that's really, really smart. Yeah, and hopefully he takes this year and he's able to play a bunch of games with Atlanta United too. He's able to really get settled. Um, you know, I I don't know how long he's lived in America. Obviously, he's an American citizen. He was born in Los Angeles. I'm not sure like how kind of... Um, if there will be an adaptation process for him living in in the United States, but uh, it's good for him to like, at least have one season to settle and and still feel like he has a role long term with this club. It feels like there's been an Instagram post of him in America playing like COD with Barco for like a good <laughs> yeah. few months here. So <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think he's been around. Yeah, I think he's been around for sure, uh, which leads to a question from Philip Jeffcoat who asked, could this be the last year that we see Brad Guzan? And Atlanta United form. I don't want to spend too much time on this. We talked about it a little bit, but Joe, any idea on Brad Kassan's contract mm-hmm. status and maybe future with the team? Well, his contract status, he has a contract to, through 2023. So mm-hmm. um, he still has a couple years left. I don't know if they, how tradable he would be, honestly. Um, if he's got a big contract, I don't know a team that would want to add someone like that, a player like that. Um, so I honestly don't know what the future really holds for Brad Kassan, especially beyond this year. I don't know. I wish I had a better answer. There would have to be a really, really noticeable regression and a really quality performance from Rocco for for this to really even matter this year, I think. And even into next year, I think as long as that contract is there, Brad Kuzan is the guy just for numerous reasons, right? Because he is one Brad Kuzan. And because of the locker room presence and because of all that kind of thing, that it's the full package for Gazan. It's still probably too much for a goalkeeper who's performed below average <laughs> over the last two years and is getting progressively worse. But all those things considered, seems like he's the guy. I hope for your like sake he doesn't hear that. <laughs> he doesn't like the stats. He doesn't <laughs> like the stats. Don't ask him about the stats. 
Uh, Greg asked, do we have adequate depth for Mikey while he's out scout jamboree this summer? (laughs) Which is a great question. I was originally going to make it rapid fire. However, I think there is something to look at here. And that is the depth of this team. And kind of thinking about maybe some international competitions going on and how kind of hectic it's going to be with that. With maybe potentially Open Cup, with CCL, all that kind of thing. It is kind of interesting to take a look at the depth of the team overall. And if Mikey is gone, or if Mikey is hurt in any way, it's just George left. And we already know about how hostile some of those things are between them and the national team. It could lead to some really even more awkward situations if he were to be called in for anything going forward. uh, Left back is interesting. Right back, you only have Lennon Hernandez. Uh, We talked about midfield. There's some spots here where, where things, if they went wrong, would go wrong in a hurry. And that's just kind of the way it is in MLS overall, I think. Yeah. Yeah, um, it would be very interesting to see what happens if that situation were to arise that you describe. There are a couple, you know, Frank DeBoer obviously had to deal with this. He played Florentine Pogba at left back. Mm-hmm. He played Justin Miram at left back or a left wing back. You know, he just the, the formation to be able to accommodate for the loss he had at left back there at the time. Um, and this team has a really good left back in its academy. I don't know if like hardship would be able like their the hardship clause would be enacted for this. I know like for, with goalkeepers we've seen it enacted for Atlanta United where they've been able to call up a guy like a a Paul Christensen to come up and he ended up actually getting thrown into a game after a red card. Um and those kinds of things. I don't know if if like they would be able to do that for a left back because normally goalkeeper is just such a specified position. That's the only thing that would allow you to the, to call in a, a player mm-hmm. that's not on the major league or the um, roster, <laughs> the MLS roster, um, because there are like Caleb Wiley is a, is a really promising left back in the academy right now, uh, but he's only like 16, I think, so still very young. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think that they would probably, I think Heinze would probably just like change the shape and have to try to work around it best again. Maybe a Jake Mulraney could be a guy who, yeah. who finds a spot in that kind of tweener role as a, as a left back, left wing back type. We could see it. We could see it. There, there are always those worries. And like I said, that's just kind of a part of MLS. And it's that way at most positions for most teams for Atlanta United. It's, it's kind of not a concern at forward this year, which we've talked about before. It's not a concern at center back necessarily. I think they're more concerned about the top end than the depth. The depth seems pretty good. So those are a couple spots that are okay. The rest of them, uh, <laughs> fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, uh, as you would be with any season. And, and fingers crossed that Joe Patrick can make it through this next segment. This is Rapid Fire. Joel asks, since reporters will be allowed back in the press box, do you think the Carvel machine will be operating again for Doug? The answer is only if Edgar Davids is not blocking it Edgar you owe me <laughs> it's only Philip. a matter before it, a, a time before it dies and starts leaking out of the bottom anyway but while it's good we'll be using it we'll be using it Philip asks how long do you expect it will be before Joseph goes a full 90 in a game mm, great question I'll say middle of May fair enough Todd asks what scout badge is Mikey Ambrose currently working on I don't know any scout badges Weeblo <laughs> what okay. I, think that's, I think that's a badge that's a thing that's a thing uh, Kojo asks, it's a cold, rainy night in Harrison, New Jersey against the New Jersey Mookows. It's the 87th minute of the semis of the MLS Cup playoffs. The score is tied at 1-1. Who scores the winning goal for Atlanta United to move on to the MLS Cup final? Kevin, Kevin Kratz with a free kick. Kevin Kratz is signed oh, they during, during Kevin the summer Kratz transfer window. In a wheelchair. He gets Kratz country. Runs into Kratz country, has the final sub, and nails it. <laughs> Red Bulls aren't going to be in the semi. Come on now. Come on. 
Eberhardt Creative asks, in terms of the obvious Atlanta United blood sport parallels, who was our Chong Lee this year? Um, you can kind of look at Columbus, but we won't see Columbus a ton. We won't see LAFC a ton. So I guess technically in the terms of like a rivalry and like possibly maybe you almost killed my friend, you did kill my friend kind of thing, it might be Orlando City. This year Orlando's going to be good and it's going to make those rivalry games really, really interesting when we get into Kumite. Philip asks, who do you think leads the team in goals? And who do you think leads the team in assists? I say goals and still Joseph. Assist, I'm going to go Marcelino Marino. I will say goals, Joseph, and assists, Ezekiel Barco. I like it. It leads into our next question from Logan, who asks, will the other boats also get unstuck in 2021? Shout out to the Ever Given. I do. And I think that, you know, talking about goal score, I think Barco is not going to be too far behind Joseph. I think that the, the way the goals are going to be dispersed at the end of the season is going to be like lots of guys in the kind of mid-teens. Um, Joseph, wow. Joseph, uh, uh, Eric Lopez. And I think uh, Ezekiel Barco is going to be one of those guys who scores right. more goals than people think. Tony has thoughts on Sorry. if Guzan will be the captain. And if not, who will it be? I think Guzan's probably the captain. He is the captain. Just on age. Alex Morrison asks, most handsome and well-dressed, Tata, DeBoer, or Einze? I think we could argue about handsomeness as far as DeBoer or Einze. I'm going to chalk that up to personal taste, but best dressed. It's, it's unfortunately, not unfortunately, it's clearly Frank. It's DeBoer, the salmon blazer. Frank. Are you kidding me? Oh, it was so good. He, he had some excellent, excellent fits, if anything. Uh, Smurphy asks, have either of you been on the Atlanta streetcar unironically? And no, I have not, <laughs> but it was prominently featured in the transportation section of the video that got the North American group to win the World Cup for 2026. They said, look at our great transportation infrastructure and no shit <laughs> showed a video of the Atlanta streetcar that no one has used it's in already the past paying off. eight years. <laughs> and that's right. Good for fire. something. <clears throat> oh man, Joe Patrick, man. We're close, man. We're close. Everybody hang tight. Go get your vaccine. We're, we're getting there. We're getting there. We're one week away. Will we do a show before that game or not? Joe Patrick? Probably. Probably. I don't Tuesday. know. Should we wait? Know. Should we wait until after? Hmm. Tell us on Twitter. Let us know. Uh, let us know what you want us to do. Yeah. If you want us to if record want... on that Monday or the, or after the game. Yeah, we can do. We can maybe even do both. If you're nice, we can figure it out. We can figure it out. We're excited to kind of get more into our normal schedule as as the weekend goes on. And I'm excited to just be in attendance for a soccer game in general. Joe, before we get out of here, your final thought. What is the one thing you were looking forward to most about being back at a soccer game in 2021? Oh, um. The fans. It's got to be the just mm. seeing fans back in the stadium as well. Just having noise again, man. Like, yeah. Just even on TV when we've been watching some of the Olympic qualifying stuff, hearing when Mexico is playing and just hearing what like 9,000 people sounds like is like jarring. You yeah, know? I know. To right, have that right. noise again <laughs> is going to be <laughs> it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. We miss y'all. We miss y'all deeply. Uh, we'll see you soon. We'll see you soon. Bye, y'all. for tuning in everyone to this completely arbitrary internet content piece. <laughs>